Anybody, anybody got any favorite desserts? Favorite, what's that? Chocolate, all right, just period. Anything with chocolate in it. Anybody else, favorite desserts? Come on, I know y'all. What's, cherry pie, okay, what else? Who said, I heard lemon pie, something else. I heard banana pudding. Listen, I am a banana pudding man myself. I like all of them, don't get me wrong, I like all kinds of desserts. But banana pudding is the one. If I go home, if I'm going to be in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, my mom knows there is a standing request for banana pudding when I am home. And here's the deal. If I do go home and there's banana pudding there, there is no question who that banana pudding is for. That banana pudding is for Coke. Without question, that is what it is there for. When I have a birthday, I have a special request. Mom, don't start fixing the pudding until I'm already eating my dinner. Because I want it to come out of the oven as I complete my meal and be served warm right there on the spot. You with me? I want my banana pudding right. And I don't want to bother with any other banana pudding. I just want my mom's banana pudding. And I want it. As soon as I finish my dinner. And that's kind of the way banana pudding works. It's awesome. It's perfect. There's nothing like it. And so here's the deal. Once upon a time, I make my way to Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And I walk into what used to be my home. And when I walk in, what do my eyes behold but a nice, fresh banana pudding on the counter? And so who is this banana pudding for? That banana pudding is for coat. Exactly. There's no question, no ifs, ands, or buts. That's my banana pudding. And so I go to dig into it only to have suddenly out of nowhere come a giant hand to smack my wrist. And it turns out in this case the banana pudding wasn't for me at all. My mom had made it for some kind of church function. And I was outraged, guys. Just outraged that banana pudding could have a purpose outside of coat. Seriously. But here's the thing. Often, even those elements of life that we think about most clearly, most certainly having to do with us, turn out not to be about us at all. And it can happen with something as trivial as banana pudding, or it can happen with something as completely life-changing and cosmically significant as the gospel and i think that's where sometimes you and i have managed in some ways to get the gospel turned inside out and as we look at psalm number 67 i think we can start to get a picture of what god is up to as he brings the gospel to bear on our lives so if you'll turn there with me we're just going to take a look real quick at Psalm 67 and try to discover if there's anything here that can help us understand how better to live our lives, how better to use the things God's given us. So I'm going to read it out loud, then we're going to just kind of take it bit by bit and figure out what we can glean from this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, 
your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The first thing I want us to see as we open up this psalm is that the governing concept behind this very idea of blessing is God himself. At the very center of this psalm, what we find is this repetition where it says, you'll find it right here in verses 3 and 5, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. And it says the same thing in both verses. That's called an envelope figure. And it's really intuitive because we all know an envelope is not about the envelope, but it's about what's inside, right? And it works the same when we're looking at poetic texts in the Bible. When we see this repetition, it's not about the envelope. It's about what's in between. And so this whole psalm serves to throw our attention to this verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people's with equity, and guide the nations upon the earth. So what we discover is that the psalmist wants us to see that every nation on the earth is called to rejoicing because God is on his throne. He is the arbiter of global justice, and he is the one who brings about the day-to-day realities that we face. God is on his throne He is the king of the universe, and because of that, all the nations can rejoice. Now, this might seem like a crazy concept, or even for us, it might even seem like maybe it's commonplace because we're believers. We've always thought like this. But if you were to put yourself in the shoes of someone living when the psalm was written, we're talking about a tiny nation, Israel, claiming that their tribal deity, Yahweh, The God of their little country isn't a tribal deity at all, but he is the God who created the whole universe. Not only that, but they're saying, hey, nations surrounding us, not only is your God not as important as ours, not only is your God not as powerful as ours, not only is your God not as significant as ours, but your God is imaginary. And our God is the only real God that there is. So this Yahweh, who has called Israel together as a nation, has embedded in their hearts this idea that their God, their mission, their truth is a global God, a global mission, a global truth. Crazy stuff. It's like me as a Kentucky fan walking up to Wayne and saying, Wayne, Not only is Vanderbilt not as significant as Kentucky, but Vanderbilt doesn't even exist. Fighting words, right? It it would be if it were stated in the opposite direction, you know. That's what it's like. But Israel boldly makes this claim, and we find it throughout the Old Testament, the boldest claim they make, there is no one like our God. Crazy talk. But that's the revelation they receive from their God, 
through Moses at Mount Sinai, right? And continued to be declared and confirmed through the prophets throughout their history. So it's like Israel has this sort of narcissism problem, if you're a nation looking on. But in reality, they're the people God has chosen to carry his truth to all the nations. That's who Israel is. So Israel says, because our God is good, and because our God is the only real God, everybody can rejoice. That's the claim Israel's making here. Enormous, enormous claim. The next thing that we need to grab hold of is that God is the source of all blessings. Again, that's kind of commonplace for a believer, but let's just look at it. Here's what he says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That's in verse 1. Later, we get to the very end in verses 6 and 7. And again, we see the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And the psalmist isn't trying to just um, be a little bit laborious about this claim, but he wants the point to be clear that Israel's God, check this out, is responsible not only for Israel's blessings, but Israel's God is responsible for everybody's blessings. So that even those people who don't yet know him, even those people who don't yet believe he exists, have good things in their lives that they've received from our God. So even those who don't realize it have God to thank for every good thing that they have. Big time stuff. Then we get to another claim that God's purpose in blessing, even blessing us, is not about us. God's purpose in blessing us is not about us. This is found in verse 1 and 2 specifically. Let's check this out. We get the prayer, may God bless us, right? And make His face to shine upon us in verse 1. And then we see in verse 2, so that your ways may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. So the psalmist is very bold to pray, hey, God, bless us as a nation. God, give us good things as a nation. Let your faith shine upon us. Give us favor as a nation. But the reason he can pray that unapologetically is because he follows it up with, in order that your ways can be known on earth. In order that your saving power can be known among all the nations. So the purpose of God's blessings, first of all, is so that his perfections can be demonstrated among the nations. And second, so that all the nations can be called to be part of the covenant community. So the purpose, check this out again. So that his perfections can be made known among all the nations. And so that all the nations can be called to be part of this covenant community. See, Israel, from the very beginning of their understanding 
was aware that their God had created humankind to be in a close relationship with him. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, I mean to the very words in the beginning, what happens is that God creates earth, and then in the very heart of the earth, he creates this place called Eden that serves as a temple where he makes his presence known, and he establishes the man and the woman as caretaker priests in his garden. And their task is to mediate the goodness of God to all creation. So what would happen is that the giraffes, I mean, literally, almost, would look at humans, and in humans, they would behold the perfections of God. They would serve as his image, as his representatives to all creation. Not only that, but they're to take these realities that are present in the garden, and they're to spread those across all creation. That's what it means when God tells them to go um, and to um, fill the earth and subdue it. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to take this garden reality and spread it across the entire earth. So the garden isn't just about Adam and Eve, and their purpose, even in the garden, is global. You see that? Later on, check this out, God calls Israel together as a nation. And what he promises them is that their primary blessing is going to be to live together in his land and enjoy his presence. That's what it means to be Israel. So he delivers them out of Egypt. He gives them a new word that forms them as a nation. Then by his mighty acts, he takes them into this promised land where they're together in their own land. And the Lord's presence is made known in the temple. And before that, it's made known in the tabernacle in the wilderness. So the biggest benefit of being part of the people of God is God's presence among us. Later, when God begins, check this out, his saving mission through Christ, what is the first aspect of that mission? The nativity, right? He makes himself native to earth. He incarnates himself on earth and gives his presence. That's the blessing of being part of God's people. It's a constant theme throughout the Scripture. And so what Israel is checking out here is that all this blessing they've received, this land they've received, this presence of God that they've received, it's not just about them, but just like Adam and Eve were to carry this reality throughout the earth, they're to carry this blessing of Yahweh's presence this blessing of Yahweh's revelation to all the nations. And by being obedient to the law he's given them, they reflect that reality. So this is what it means to be Israel. And here's, here's something that I think we're all going to be a little bit taken aback by if we allow ourselves to be. Check this out. The nature of blessing is not limited to spiritual things. If you read, th- read through this psalm, just look at it real quick. Look at the words that are used. Look at, look at what's going on and tell me, I bet you can tell me what time of year it is. Check it out. Somebody yell out what time of year. Fall. Why do you say that, Mr. Charles? Harvest. Exactly. It's harvest time. What kind of blessings come about at harvest time? Crops. You get to eat, right? 
And what happens is all the nations have harvests. And you know what they would do? They would look at their harvest as an indicator of how powerful, how good, how generous their God is. But maybe so, man, it's time to eat the pudding, you know? That, that's how they sort of figured this stuff out in, in most of the nations. Israel knew there was more to it. But they also knew, check this out, there was not less to it, just more to it. So God's blessing isn't less than material things. It's more than material things. It includes material things. So we've already discovered God is the governing concept of blessing. His presence is the, is the main thing. God is the source of all blessings. God's purpose in these blessings is not just us. And now we discover that the nature of these blessings is not limited to spiritual things. So that leads us to this conclusion. Everything we have, everything we are, is from God, through us, for the nations. Every breath we take is from God, through us, for the nations. Every coat in our closet, or in this case, in our church, I guess, is from God through us for the nations. Every dollar in our wallet is from God through us for the nations. Every talent we have is from God through us for the nations. Are you following me? Every relationship we're part of from God through us for the nations. And we can't point to a single thing we have access to that God has not given us for the purpose that we would enjoy it and that we would use it to reflect His perfections to the nations so that they could know there is a good God running this universe. It can't stop at generosity. It can't stop at generosity. But check this out. It cannot stop short of generosity. It can't Stop at being a city on a hill where we, by our lifestyle, reflect God's goodness. But it cannot stop short of being a city on a hill where, by our lifestyles, we reflect God's glory. It is who we are. It is who we are called to be as those who are in Christ, just as Christ came to earth to demonstrate to us what it looks like for God to be among us. So as we place our faith in Him, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us so that we can demonstrate to everyone we come in contact with what it looks like for God to be among them. We are the representation of the living God. And as people see our lives, so they will determine what this God is about, what this God is worth, and what this God is up to. So our lives have to begin to reflect it. The gospel has to be turned right side out. And we have to recognize it is not about us. But it's about our mediating this covenant blessing to the nations, bringing the glory of God to bear upon every relationship that we have access to. My dad, um, he passed away in 2003. I was on staff at a church, but I didn't 
I just didn't have enough money to live there, so I would drive in and spend the night with this family. My best friend, um, his family went to that church. So I would come stay the night with them on Saturday nights, on Wednesday nights, you know, and that way I could be there when I needed to be there. One night, it was like 1.30 in the morning, I guess. My buddy's mom comes and knocks on the door of the room where I was sleeping. He's like, hey, coach, um, can you wake up for a second? got to talk to you. That it's the phone, it's for you. So I picked it up, and it's my little brother, who was the only person who was able to compose himself enough to tell me that I needed to get home because my dad had had a heart attack, right? So I, I pull myself up and get dressed and drive home, and by the time I get there, he's passed away. You know, um, one of the one of the toughest things I've ever done is drive home that night, not knowing what I was going to find an hour and a half later. You know crazy stuff. Here's the thing. Just a little bit before that, I mean, I don't remember if it was like a year or something like that. Me and my dad were talking. And I had a, I had an old, like I had an old classical guitar. It was super, super beat up. And he, um, he didn't like to see me playing that beat up guitar, right? So he was like, listen, man, we got to get you, we got to get you a nice guitar. And of course I didn't have any arguments. Yeah, let's get me a nice guitar, you know? And um, and so he said, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll go over to Carl's Music in Lexington. Let's just see what they got, see what you like, you know. So, I mean, I had wide, it sounded like I had wide open choice. So I went in and I just started playing all the guitars until I found the one that was just perfect. This is, this is her, Abigail. This is, my, this is the guitar. And um, Dad, Dad looked at the price tag. It said $1,800, right? Expensive, expensive guitar, expensive piece of equipment. And, and he said, all right, well, is that the one you want? I said, yeah. He said, okay, well, let's go home and think about it. And so we went home thought about it. And the next day, he said, you sure you still want it? And I said, yeah. So he drove me back over there. And here's what he did. This was awesome. My dad was probably the best salesman. I, I mean, unbelievable salesman, right? So he says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want to give you 11 $100 bills. So you're going to walk in there, and you're going to say to the manager, hey, I need to talk to you. Say, hey, buddy, I got $1,100 bills. I'm going to walk out with that guitar over there. And so I just, I just did it. You know, I went in there, and I probably sounded like a broken record. Hey, buddy, I have $1,100 bills. I'm going to walk out with that guitar over there. And next thing I knew, I was walking out with a guitar. It was awesome, you know. And when I got outside with it, my dad said, listen, I'm glad, I'm glad that worked. You learned how to, how to make a deal. But also, I want you to know that guitar is not for you. That guitar is for you to lead worship and, and to use it in that way. And that's the reason I bought it for you. And this guitar has been in like 15 states leading worship. At the best of times, somebody else was playing it, you know. And, and tons of kids have come to Christ. Because, because partially my dad got me this guitar, you know. And sometimes even the sweetest gifts that we have access to aren't necessarily all about us. I mean, there is nothing on earth that I have that I would give up more hesitantly than I would give up this guitar. I mean, this is, this is it, man. As far as just stuff, you know. And this guitar is even statedly not about 
me. So here's, here's, here's what I want to ask you. What, what's your thing? You know? In my life, it's this guitar. Well, what's, what's your thing, though? Like, what's the thing that is most important to you? What's the, hopefully it's less trivial than a guitar, you know? What relationships, what talents, what resources, and how can you demonstrate through your life that those things are from God, through you, for the nations? And how can you use them to declare to the ends of the earth the goodness of our God and the great salvation that's been provided for us through Jesus Christ? To find a way to do that is what it means for us to embrace our identity as a church.